2: Welcome to The Ruck, your penultimate episode of the Rugby podcast for the Times Sunday Times of this regular season, although we will be going on tour to Australia. Joining me today, Mark Evans, a regular uh, attendee of this podcast, and Alan Dimmock, features editor of Rugby World magazine. Uh, we've got an enormous amount to talk about this week two seismic Gallagher Premiership semi finals, the first URC final will be all South African. Today, Monday, the RFU will launch the fixtures for the new community game season, branding it as the biggest overhaul of, the, of grassroots rugby structure in 30 years. And John Inverdale, the RFU council member and chairman of National Rugby, will join us to discuss that. But first, we have to reflect on, on the sad news that, that we all heard yesterday, Sunday evening, and the passing of, of Phil Bennett. Mark, you grew up in Wales you tweeted about it this morning it's mm. it's he he was a i mean there are no words really to describe what what he gave to this game
3: no um people talk about legends and uh he, he's i think somebody is it brendan Gallagher or something said more of an immortal and i think that's right yeah. i think he's in the line of you know cliff morgan die watkins barry john Phil Bennett, Jonathan Davis—the the sort of the golden line through Welsh number tens—and um, he's up there with 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 them. Some would say at, at the very top. and I mean, that's just a personal view. But um, the other thing I say is that you know they say don't don't meet your heroes, don't they? Because you're always going to be disappointed. Well, he, he was the exception to that. He was just the loveliest of men, and uh, you know, just 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 such a lovely person
0: that's that's the thing that i keep um, i mean i probably count myself as being a, a, a bit too young to know too much i mean legends is probably what i know uh, about phil bennett but you look through uh, all that's been written about him even before now and the outpouring of uh, emotion about it and the thing that keeps coming through that you keep seeing people talk about is just what a nice bloke he was and that's you know if you take the rugby out then that's all you could want
3: yeah, and we can be a bit, you know, being rugby or whatever, and plays rugby rugby's a great bloke, which is nonsense, isn't it? Um, but he was, and you know, is so rooted in his in his community of Ellenboyle and <clears throat> uh, West Walesian through and through. You know, in some ways, didn't like touring that much. Much preferred to be at home. Um, but is uh, if you never saw him play live, um, just an extraordinary player. Sort of stardust in his feet, you know, up there with you know the, the others you remember, you know Jason Robinson, you know that that those are the sorts of players who don't come along that often because it's really hard to do what
2: they could do, and would uh, be terribly terribly missed. Uh, we've talked on this pod with you, Mark, in recent weeks about the state of the of Welsh rugby mm. and 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 its and its decline when and I count myself with our too young really to understand the impact that he had mm. on society and life in 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 Wales at a time where rugby was 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 so kind of tightly woven into the fabric of of life just just give us a an idea of 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 that like the inspiration that he would have been to to generations of of young players well he he followed Barry John
3: who was uh, an equally but incredibly different uh, type of, of of fly half. Um, um, Phil Bennett was m- much more um, electric. Barry glided and, and Phil just jinked. I suppose is the best way to put it across. Um, and, and the game was different. And 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 there were you, you could play a little bit more like that. And 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 my word, he did. And the the. We've got, you know, the videos and, and the films do do him justice. I mean, the, the, you know, the Lions stuff against South Africa on very hard grounds when he had a wonderful tour. And then he was captain in 77. It wasn't nearly as happy a time and, and it probably shouldn't have been given the job to be quite. But he was such a good player um, that, that it was almost inevitable. Uh, but, yeah, he, he epitomised a lot of what it was in a golden era uh, for, for the Welsh team. But a more of a golden era for the for the sport in Wales as much as the mm. team. Um, he he epitomised it very rooted as you say in his community where he was from. Um, yeah, it, it, they just don't come along that often.
2: No. Well, sad, sad news to break at the end of the end of a weekend in which uh, was actually on the field for everyone p- pulsating in in so many different ways, which we will we'll get into now starting up with the the Gallagher Premiership semi-finals uh, coming up next so we've been going since September and we now have the Gallagher Premiership final Saracens against Leicester Saracens but I guess both both comeback stories of of different types Saracens beat Harlequins 34-17 Leicester down Northampton 27-14 two enormous games Let's start at at the StoneX Stadium, Saracens. I, I was there on on Saturday. Mark, did you did you see any result from that game other than other than, other than a Saracens win at any point?
3: Yeah, I didn't before the game. I thought Saracens would win mm. quite comfortably. Um, and you could look at the scoreline and think, well, that's 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 what happened. Um, I don't think that quite tells the story of the game. I thought the game the momentum shifted and. If 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 ifs and buts and maybes, you know. But when they got held up with eight minutes to go, mm. which would have taken them to very, you know, you, you, you could see it. Thinking, well, if he goes over now, that's going to be really interesting. But he didn't. Wonderful um, defensive play. How did he not score? Um, and and Saracen saw it out and then scored another one at the end. And and but the game was gone by then.
2: To be yeah, honest, I, um, it was. I just loved that game. It was. I remember so I was sitting there thinking there's a lot of stoppages here, but you've, uh, you the word that you use a lot is flow, yeah. And it it was a game where there were a lot of stoppages, but it didn't for me it didn't interrupt the flow of it. It was almost a chance for everyone to take a breath to take a breath, um, just like understand what what they'd just seen and then and then go again. And would you would... say
0: it was more like a boxing match in that it's like mm. ding ding, <laughs> get mm. back to your back to your Literally corner, at times, and
2: then you come. It was ferocious. It was it was ferocious. It was the intensity was was off the scale and and. And it, it almost got the perfect... To set it up for, for the neutral, got the perfect start with, with Harlequins making the early running. Mm. Their scrum was magnificent. Their yeah, that's
0: a big point I want to yeah, talk because it's Because it's... Uh, for some reason, there's still a quite a pervasive view that the forwards uh, of Quinns might be Marshmallow compared <laughs> to a couple of other teams. And it's just absolute nonsense. Because their scrum... I mean, Will Collier, the way wow. that he went... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, geez wow. old, and... You know, there's a reason why there's a, an awful lot of buzz about them, and just the way that that pack operated, it was just just what the game needed. And then when you've got that, and then you can go right, we can break off the back of a scrum that's going forward. And of course, as we'll talk about, if you've got an Estherhausen in your back pocket, and if you've got a care running off of a off of a shoulder, it just adds a little bit of spice. Um But I mean, friend of the podcast Ross Hamilton was. Tweeting out some uh, stats after after the game, and it was it was clear that red zone efficiency was just up through the That's the point I was going to make. Yeah. The,
3: I think the big difference between the two sides—they both had them periods of dominance. This is what Alan was saying. they were. I like that analogy. They both won a couple of rounds, didn't they? You know, mm. for starts. I felt, and I watched it back again. I watched it again because I couldn't go. I, one of my closest friends' sixtieth birthday lunch. I couldn't. I was. I was so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very mixed feelings. Uh, no, it was a lovely. Lucy and she's great, but but um, wouldn't miss it for the world. But it was a shame. Um, I thought it was about finishing. Yeah. You, you, you look at the number of times. You, I always judge it now. If you go into the twenty-two with the ball in your hand or you get the ball in your hand in the 22 now how many times do you score and if you do that you, you go through it and i would say this is the thing that links the two games and we'll talk about the other one in a minute i'm sure saracens were just far more efficient in terms of when they got a chance i think they went in there eight times and they scored six something like that in a five tries and i know oh yeah oh that, that's right you missed a uh you, you missed a drop goal or you got no missed a drop so incredibly efficient. Harlequins, on the other hand, went in there 12 times and came away with three. And I mm. haven't seen Ross's stats. I don't know. Just if uh, I, I might have missed a couple. I wasn't doing it rigorously. But the thing about Saracens was that they are so good at taking the chances. They don't actually create... And I'd say that's been Harlequin's weakness all year, by the way. I think that the, the, the number of chances that they create, I think it might even be subconscious. They're so... And I love this about them. They're so wedded to this juay we're going to play, we're going to create things. They almost, I think, subconsciously say, well, all right, we've just bin that one. But all right, we'll create another one in a minute. And at the very, very highest level, if I'm sure the Queen's coaches this year will be going back, right, guys, we need to graft a couple of things onto what we're doing. And one of the things is in all games, you've got to take a higher percentage of the chances. I, I think Saracens will win the final. I know we're going to come talk about that again. I think they'll win. However, their scrum is undoubtedly a potential Achilles heel. Because they got... I thought they were lucky, actually, with one or two of the calls. I really... Do. I thought they... I thought Quinn's scrum had them on toast.
2: I'd like to talk about the other cards in a minute, but there were so many... To, we asked Mark McCall afterwards about the key moments. but And there, there were... Loads. There were loads of them. And if you, if you take... Jack Walker flying into Owen Farrell clash of heads Walker's off for 10 minutes in those 10 minutes Saracen scored 14 points yeah the second the second of those two tries was a mistake from Alex Donbrand from the mm. kickoff. but ruthless T- took the chance scored it that that turned the game put in the sense of put, put Saracen's on on top for the last 25 minutes of that game Saracen's only had a full complement for two minutes yeah mm. and so when they had their chance against 14, they scored twice. Sarah, when Harlequins had the chance against 13 and 14...
3: They, did, they, they took one. They, they got they one. Took, they took one. And got held up once. And that, I think, was the... If they got that one. But Co- they should have got
2: more. Correct. But it's 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 also... like It was Nicky Zietkwi who, who held it was, up Lord A. Was. The same player who stole two, two line critical outs. line outs.
3: Absolutely critical.
2: You know, five-metre line-out, you, you're not supposed to... I mean, in fact, I saw it in the Super Rugby semi-final earlier in the day conventional wisdom is you, you're not going to challenge because you've got to set, set for them all is we springs up at the front and again linking
3: it. the two games I'd say the difference between Leicester made very very few errors and neither did Saracens whereas Northampton and Harlequins you've mentioned one of them Ax Dombrant screwed up a restart led to a try you yeah. know that the the um you know, the line outs that you've mentioned, they met, there were errors in Quincy's game and I was trying to find any real important errors, important areas of the pitch that Quin's uh, that Saracen's made. You couldn't find any and also for twenty minutes but it was only for twenty minutes, again, love islands that in that round or a couple of rounds, they won every collision. Mm. They won absolutely... it didn't it wasn't at the beginning and it wasn't at the end, but for twenty minutes Every time there was a collision Saracens won it And fair play to them That that won them the game Now Leicester are a
0: very different team To Harlequins In the style that they play It'll be interesting If you go To take the learnings From this game Whether (laughs) Saracens are going to be Wanting to cough up So many cards For high shots Um can you get away with that in a final against a, you'd say based on the form of this season a stronger team and just an interesting point on that and I'm just going to put that out in there and we d- we don't have to discuss it but it seems fascinating to me that um, we're, we are can be so strict on high shots and be firm on that and not waver yet not with HIAs I just find that interesting mm. that they wouldn't go if, if that merits a card wise someone wouldn't then automatically go for an HIA or, well, there, or a few of them be, be looked at a bit more it just seems a bit more like light the cigarette
2: I, th- oh, let's see. I think the cards thing is so I was sitting there having we've all w- watched I was in Marcus C three years ago pre-Japan World Cup where they came out with the high tackle framework referees were just There was all, all judgement was removed mm. it's a set of facts and you come to a decision it's the framework every one of those incidents from uh, the Saracens game would have been a red card at the World Cup they would have been because they were, they were the contact was was high and it was head to head or shoulder to head. Under the framework as it was, they'd have been red cards. Since then, there's been a tweak to it to allow referees to be a bit more sympathetic to the dynamics of the game. And yeah, every it's one the M word, isn't it? Mitigation. And so every one of those became was a yellow on the basis of a force, the, the perception that there wasn't an enormous force. Now the, the player Owen Farrell afterwards. Had no complaints With any of the yellows Including Joe Walker. like uh, and, and nor did either of the coaches um, But we have a There's a tension That exists now Between mm. World Rugby Trying to use sanctions To persuade players To go lower And, and players And players just
0: willing Being willing to wear the sanctions Players
2: go we, we we cannot do anything Other than what we're doing Because you have to go f- Over Farrell's words You have to be going forward In defence You've got to Otherwise you lose the um, position. If, if you're passive, you, you go backwards, you get dropped. And he basically said, we get a, we'll we be as careful as we can, but we have to do what we're doing, and if it's a yellow, it's a yellow. So the sanctions aren't persuading anyone to change because the players themselves say, well, we can't change.
0: Well, it'd be fascinating to see how that transpires in a final.
2: Yeah, and there'd be no sightings, by the way, either. So no. the sighting officer has studied all those incidents, including the, 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 um, the, the ones in Leicester... And concluded that none of them were worthy of a red card, so I think one of the things that's confusing is we all got used to this has to be a red, and Charlie Ewells gets a red playing for England in the Six Nations. But yesterday, that or Saturday, that would probably be the yellow, the Charlie Ewells mm-hmm. incident. So it's a it's a it's a tricky one. But it, um, you know, and there were there were clips flying around social media accusing players of throwing punches, and none of those have been picked I, up. Honestly, I. I
3: you were there and I wasn't, mm. and and I saw it. I, but maybe it's, people say, "Oh, it's really, really feisty." I I just thought it was really, really physical. Yeah, I didn't think it was particularly bad tempered. Or I know there were yellow cards, but they were they were you know those. That's the situation we're in at the minute, and you can't defend passively. You know, if you go through, if 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 queens had gone through forty minutes of losing every collision, they'd have been wiped out. You know, I, I just I, I I just don't think. I like the build-up, by the way. I like the whole... I like to think rugby needs more of that. I like the fact that... Um, players were on record saying we really don't. Whether they do or they don't, I don't care. Yeah. Come yeah. on, this week. Don't Exactly. Don't be mealy-mouthed about it and say, no-one's died, they've just given it. Just, it's a bit of an edge and the game wasn't. We don't have that sort of game anymore. No-one got... I, I didn't see it anyway. Nobody got punched, no-one got stamped on the floor, nobody got their head kicked in. It doesn't happen anymore. All right? For God's
2: sake, stop was, being so bloody prissy the, about it. There were outbreaks of... Pushing and shoving, but what, but what it, what the that build up and what that rivalry brought was excitement and an intensity. The, yeah. the 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 physical the breakdown, phys- um, battle the, the the combat on the floor. It's a good it, game. Was 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 unbelievable. You know, the counter rocking, the the power, the physical, brilliant. It was brilliant, and and I yeah you know, I loved it. And it and the first thing Mark McCall said to us afterwards was was something like. That was, you know, that was the longest game of the season, and it hadn't even felt like it. You yeah. know, there were games with stoppages, as we've discussed, if you, as you've said, Mark. the lack of flow didn't feel like that at all. Yeah. It was it was magnificent, and and I would expect a similar final. You know, it would be it will be two two teams going hammer and tong. It might not be a thing of beauty. Mm. I think our uh, Ross's stat was that. Leicester kicked 75%. Se- yeah, it was way wow. to say that.
0: 75%. I mean, that was th- a
3: different type of game. We're going to go on to that now. Aren't yeah, we? yeah, yeah. That's a different type of game, wasn't it?
0: I mean, they, st- they haven't shied away from who they are. They have an no. identity, and there's, there's something likeable about them going, This is exactly who we are. I mean, and obviously, within that framework, people can do exceptional stuff. I mean, full house for George Ford. Try. Yeah. Penalties. Drop goal, drop goal, everybody. Yeah, um, show and go try. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I now struggle where we are with the narrative. Is 83 cap um, England international George... 84 cap England international George Ford underrated? Or where, where where are we now? I find it really hard to keep up with the debate on, on that one. But just exceptional stuff. And on the other side, I mean, it was just good fun because on the other side, we were having little crossfield dinks from Dan Bigger to... Courtnell Scosson who left his hands at home. Um mm. Poor fella. three butchered opportunities mm. ah. from him. Yep. He must be sick as a
3: parrot. And I think that's the difference between the two games. Northampton Saints will be sitting there all summer going, How on earth did we lose that? They're they're fifteen point look, they're fifteen points up. And I don't mean the two um things that he butchered because they then scored one straight away. You can't mm. double count. Right? But they they left one try, ab- seven points absolutely on the table. Yeah. They missed a drop goal. Dan Bigger missed a, a relatively simple drop goal and they butchered a five yard line out. Now there's fifteen points just sitting there and it's and it's thirty minutes in and you are win They don't lose from there. Because Leicester massive strengths and this is why i think they're going to lose the final by the way i can't see them score enough points mm. i don't know how they're going to score they're they do hang in though you remember they beat saracens at Welford road right back in god knows what was it week one or week two something incredibly early they were the second best team for a 80 minutes basically and then they hung in they hung in they stayed in the fight and they got it at the end if they're going to win on saturday I would honestly think that's the only way they're going to win, except if they really go for Saracen's scrum. If Genge and Montoya... I know I've pronounced that wrong. I'm sorry. I apologise. I don't know what they... and, And Cole really, really go for what, to me, looks like a Saracen's front row that isn't what it was. And then the way Leicester play on the back of that... Might just give him a chance, but I, I'd say four out of five times, sales win this.
0: The train is
1: now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport,
2: please stay on board. Next stop, Road Station.
1: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
2: So it wasn't just in England where we had some some rip-roaring semi-finals this weekend the URC has reached its climax there will be two South African teams in the final after the Bulls squeaked past Leinster 27-26 in Dublin and the Stormers beat Ulster 17-15 um, So we all head to Cape Town do we next weekend? We don't because yes. we go to Swickenham but the final heads to Cape Town um, Al it was a two two real Cracking games, weren't
0: they? Yeah, I mean, I was just saying off off mic That it's been an incredible weekend for knockout rugby All different corners you look really The Premiership was fantastic There's been a load of good stuff happening in France And this one, I mean, I don't know who you'd have found That would have predicted that Leinster would lose at the RDS <laughs> And... Um, friend of the, another friend of the podcast, uh, Marcel Coutia, who's who's been on with us uh, briefly before in an episode gone by, putting a real captain's knock for the Bulls. They just sort of absorbed what Leinster wanted to do. They right at the start of the game, just really tough stuff, holding them out. You know, Leinster were hammering away. They're at home, and you'd have assumed that they would they would score. And the, this is the Bulls that are coming after a six day turnaround, mm. and. They just absorbed it and they they kept going at it and it was a real 80-minute blood and thunder performance. They they played the way that you'd expect the Bulls of Pretoria to play. Um, there was some direct running. Um, Elrich Lowe um, did some nice carrying off the back of lineouts to to set up Marcel Koutsia for, for his score and it was just kind of I, you can't really say shell shock because it was an 80-minute display. It was really close all the way in, just fantastic stuff, particularly for the neutral. But it's fascinating to see that Leinster are going to be trophyless mm. at the end of the season for the first time since 2017.
2: Do you think? Oh, that I think the English rugby fans will probably engage a bit more with the South African provinces next season when their when their club is drawn against them in the mm. Champions Cup or or the Challenge Cup. What interest will there be in a All South African final in? Scotland or or Ireland Do you think
0: Well It's an interesting Talking point Because um, Certainly this season We've talked an awful lot About crowd numbers And South Africa's been Very affected By Covid And you know They've had half crowds Quarter crowds They've been doing uh, Ticket Mad ticket giveaways To try and get people To rock up to Bulls games But it's interesting when you contrast. The view that I've seen from people in South Africa is one of a... Leash. They are absolutely buzzing. They're, I've seen a lot of people suggest, why did we not do this earlier? This mm. is much better than Super Rugby for us. It just makes more sense. There's lots of doors open opening for us and the team have been sort of got off to a rocky start and playing really well. I, I'm fascinated because I imagine that we'll see the true effect next season for the other teams in the URC as well. Now... Mark can talk to you about the basket case that is Welsh rugby and how people the grass always seems to be greener and whatever competition they're in at the moment is the one that they hate the most and whether they truly love it and but there's a big discussion to be had about that so I'm not sure how enthralled the folk are in Wales with it I'm not sure in Ireland it's, it's one of shell shock but I think because they've gone deep into the competitions and two teams it very feasibly could have been an all Irish final um, you know, because these two games were so close um, and so I'm imagining that there'll maybe be a little bit of interest, almost a curiosity about what this final looked like in a completely different venue, handing over a brand new, frankly bizarre looking trophy, if anyone's seen what it looks like uh, over to to this and sort of a lot of people will be planning for the future um, but uh, I think there's a f- quite a few question marks still, and I think we'll see the true nature of the impact of the, the South African teams joining next season when people, even outside the URC, will be really watchful of them. But I don't think we'll see a true reflection of how in love everyone is with the idea until next season.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, on top of that, you won't see. We didn't see the proper structure this year mm. because of COVID, and um, I, I, I think that. Uh, when they have less overlaps which is what they've got planned because they've very sensibly moved away from this everybody must play everybody else home and away which Mm. is absolutely no need for the hat guys there's lots of competitions don't do that Um, I think that the guys at the URC and uh, Martin would be quite pleased at the moment I think they might see well it was getting a bit sort of a bit of an Irish procession you know the, the the Scottish teams have got stronger. You know, if you're looking at the trend, the Scottish teams have got stronger, but the Irish were starting to get way too dominant for any kind of commercial and sporting sort of interest. Mm. So, I think that I think the argument for South America in in the Six Nations is a completely different argument. But within, I think within the URC. I think it's I think probably in good. everyone's, everybody's interests. It's if been, a, it,
0: it just felt like a shot of life, a different name on the trophy, and I'd say you, you said the Scottish team has got stronger, but Glasgow were truly humbled against yes, Leinster, they were, I know. and because of that, it felt like okay, this is Leinster's to do with as they wish, and it's got to be good for the competition that Leinster can't just rock up
3: and beat whoever they want with their second team. Yeah, I mean that will be the other interesting thing that may or may not happen it will depend I think to a degree on how strong the South African teams can be in the early part of the season if they're still playing in the Rugby Championship and they're still playing in the November Internationals uh, and I don't think again I don't think we'll know that. It'll be really interesting that the, next year I'm going to keep a very very close eye on the squad's Lens to send down to South Africa
2: They might also have to send slightly stronger teams to, to Scotland to guarantee points and it shakes exactly. up the, whole balance, shakes up the, the d- whole
3: balance. It does. It shakes up the whole balance about things like home field advantage in yeah. the playoffs and all that kind of stuff.
2: I think the, my one question on it is: I was at, um, went to the Leinster Toulouse uh, quarter final, and afterwards Johnny Sexton was try- trying to remember what the competition was called. He was like, "Oh yeah, top yeah, fourteen yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah. He said like, "There's been so many incarnations of it, and
3: needs a bit of stability now."
2: It just mm. Compositions they feel important when when they grow roots. But people understand them. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, as you say, if it can settle in, there's bit you know the, the gauntlet has been laid down to, yeah. to to Leinster and the Irish teams. The structure can settle, and people get used to it. And just, you know whether you like it or not, the sight of of South African teams in 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 Europe, in you know in in with a Saracens or a Gloucester or whoever they end up being, you know that that'll bring it closer to home. Again, particularly for an English audience who largely won't have watched it because they no. they won't have Premier Sports because they're already paying for other you know for BT Sport and you know they, they largely won't have seen the those teams play in those games. Having them in the Champions Cup will will I think will bring the the competition a bit closer to home.
3: And before we move on, just just what just a not more than a not Ulster were mm. magnificent in defeat.
2: Yeah, so two fascinating finals coming up. Next weekend, and just before we get into the the last section of of the rock, Al chucked a, an interesting hypothetical into our uh, WhatsApp chat this week. That um, he would quite fancy the discussion, Al.
0: Yeah, well, it's just
2: um,
0: I'd watched with interest what was happening in the golf and the the start of our. A rebel league. I mean, rebel league makes it sound almost quite Star Wars, doesn't it? And it's not been received anything like that. Um, the idea of the the rebel Saudi backed rebel league in golf. We'd seen the takeover of Newcastle United, and it got me wondering. With all the hand wringing that's gone on about it, and all the questions about sports washing, if that happened in rugby, would we have the same qualms? And would players have certain qualms about joining uh, a, a team that was backed
3: by? By someone like the Saudi Investment Fund, I just thought it was an interesting discussion. So we're talking about the ownership of a team, or the ownership of a league, or competition—the whole thing. A team, I think a team. That's—I I don't know—is the answer. I—I I, I think we've got some history here, haven't we? They put this into context. So there, there's a continuum between people say, "Oh, sport, sport should never, sport and politics kid thats nonsense, isn't it? Sport is part of life, and all the politics is—is." Is, choices within certain societies and cultures. So it's a question of where you make the decision, isn't it? And at what point do you say, no, actually, that that's too far. Because if you go to the you're purer than pure and you know, more ethical than anything, there's a whole load of rugby nations you wouldn't play. You know, you look at you look at some of the you look at some of the LGBT views of regimes in the pacific islands for example right it, but i don't hear anyone saying well we shouldn't play tonga for example and i agree with them i don't I think that we should play them then you come down to who owns the tournaments and who owns the teams and you, and you think about their motivation and maybe that's more in the middle i mean the, the golf thing's interesting i i'm very much on the on the side of the sort of McElroys and the traditional sort of PGA stuff. And, you know, please, for God's sake, I think the the journalist who said to um, Ian Poulter, would you go to South Africa then? Uh, good question. Yeah. Would you? Where, where's your line? Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure I've answered anything there, but it's no, a it really... Is.
2: Did you watch the, the the golf last night, the Canadian Open finish? Rory I McElroy did. wins I did it. watch a little it's bit, like yeah, it, and it, it I don't like, normally. It was incredible. And the first thing he said was, "That's that's 21 tour victories, which is... One more than a certain somebody, that certain somebody being Greg Norman, and it's create you know it's created a, it's almost revived a passion for for where they were. Let, let, let me throw in an illustrative hypothetical question then, on this. So Anthony Joshua has fought in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, we've talked about Newcastle. We've talked yeah. about this golf. If the Lions are offered a game in Riyadh on their way to Australia, do, a should should they play it if it's lucrative? Be, would they?
3: No.
0: I think I know that I th- well it depends how much money it is but I'm imagining it would certainly be entertained is what I would assume um, should they I mean for s- several reasons just purely rugby logistically it makes very little sense but then again we've seen the Lions go and play in Hong Kong on the way to a tour so if there's money on the table and it makes sense to them financially then we know that the Lions will entertain it um I I don't think it I don't think it makes any sense but I think I think they would. I don't know, what do you reckon, Mark?
3: There would undoubtedly be an outcry because I think people would say you've got other options. Why have you chosen that option? To which the re- the the only reply might be, Well there was more money in it. And I'm which not is something sure. that we're
0: not getting by the way with with golf and everything else Is I think people would probably respect it a little bit more if folk were honest and just said I'm improving my earning potential massively uh, and obviously that paints them as greedy but at least they're not pretending and just hiding mm. away from
3: everything yeah they want to go from being rich to super rich exactly. I'm not sure there's a massive amount of support for no, that yeah. but but um, I could be wrong now to bring this back
0: I, I, this morning I feel I spoke to a few people on the phone I spoke to a quite a prominent player I spoke to an agent about this and the response that I got was uh, the, f- the one from the player was interesting they'd spoken to, spoken about it with a couple of teammates and they didn't see many qualms whatsoever, they were just like elite, top end rugby players earn good money, it's still not something where you could retire to a desert island on so if someone's offering you more money, fantastic It's they were talking about the landscape where there are, there are fewer options basically there was a lot of Financial incentive reasons Why they said it was for it Now what interests me is I, I, As mentioned earlier I, They ain't going public And saying that They're not going to come out And say that The agent's view Was very much of If The powers that be Ratify a club owning it Then as far as we are concerned Play ball and I spoke to Premiership Rugby about this this morning, and the suggestion was, uh, you know, is there a fit? And, I asked, is there a fit and proper well, persons kind of test? That, cause I was just trying to make that ask. Is there to a make fit, that point. fit and proper persons test, like there's meant to be in football? I mean, whether that's ever successful, you can debate that till the cows come home. And what came back was basically, if a club is willing to sell to someone like, say, the Saudi royal family, um, then or their investment fund, then if the RFU approve it, then. Game on. And if they own another club in another country, then World Rugby will have to get involved. But there's not that there's
3: not a huge number of hurdles from what I can see. Uh, I, that's interesting. So, Because I, I, was, I was thinking this the other day and I wasn't sure I knew the answer and I still don't. I don't think there is a fit and proper person's test for the premiership, is there? I, I, I've got a feeling there isn't because mm-hmm. then that raises the question of, well, would you be okay playing for a team that is financed through money laundering? For example, you know, you know, criminality—is that where you draw the line? Because that, because there are piles of examples in other sports of clubs that have been owned with money that is, shall we say, uh, dubious. Let's let's put it that way. Okay, is that where you draw the line? And I'm not saying any of these questions are easy. Then they're, they're not. And I keep coming back to this continuum thing. You know, there are certain th- things. There are probably certain regimes. Where you'd say no, that, that I'm sorry, that, that's just not on. Well, so for example, here's one. So would we at the moment? Well, it would be illegal, but you know, a Russian oligarch buying a Premiership team, whose money quite clearly came from a deal with that regime. At the moment, I think most people and most would say no. That's that's beyond. But the man, a Man City type deal. Are you okay with that? And that the answer might then be different. It might not. Well, all I'm saying is that these are all we as a sport should be asking is, have we got certain regulatory protection in place in the event of something like this happening, or are we just going to make it up as we go along?
2: It's a fascinating hypothetical conversation at the moment, and we'll uh, we'll all keep close eye on on any future investment in in the Premiership down the line. Um, Coming up next, we have John Inverdale joining us um, to discuss the biggest change in the structure of grassroots rugby in England for 30 years. Joining us now on The Ruck is is John Inverdale, RFU council member and chairman of National League Rugby, to, to, to really explain to everyone why the RFU have... Have changed the community game structure and, and the importance behind it. It's being being flagged as the biggest change in 30 years to how the the community league game is 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 structured. Uh, John, thanks for joining us. Just talk us through, uh, I guess, the reasons behind this and, and the work that's got into doing it.
1: Well, Alex, you know you've you've spoken about Phil Bennett already, and uh, I mean part of my childhood died as well when I heard heard the news about him. But the game was very different when Phil was playing, and the game was very different, you know, a few years after Phil stopped playing when the leagues were set up in the very first instance. And I think what's driven the changes are just a change in player habits, a change in society, a change in relationships, a change in in how families operate. And, you know, you only have to drive past a lot of rugby grounds, you know, multi-pitch rugby grounds, three, four, five pitches on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. And if there's one game taking place, great. If there's two, amazing. But the rest of that land is just lying fallow. And across team sport, and rugby actually has fared better than most others, but across team sport, there's a massive drop-off in adult male participation. And we, from an RFU point of view, just couldn't just sit and watch that happen because the nature of the game is changing as a consequence. So the prime motivation behind this is to try and stem the tide in terms of players leaving the game maybe to turn the tank around if you like to get more people engaged more people involved it's on the basis of players having to travel less distances for the most part which means that the day does not become entirely rugby centric but they can do other things as well so the motivation pure and simple is to try and promote the adult male game which has been suffering at the recreational level for many many years now
2: one of the, the the stats that really struck me was that if you rewound twenty years, um, the research that's been presented to us says that clubs needed twenty five players to complete the season, and they now need forty three players. Um, yep. And when you were involved at Isha and, and and heavily engaged in in the in the I am sadly Alex. <laughs> well, okay, I'll rephrase that. Um, but but in all the years that you've been involved at Esher, how aware were you of? of the drop-off in participation and and, and the need for for more and more players just to fulfil one team's fixtures?
1: Well, I'm I'm sure if anybody's listening to this who's involved in any club, they will be conscious that maybe 30 years ago, they ran six teams, seven teams, five teams, and now they're running three, two, one. You don't need to do a study of it. You can just see it. You can Mm. see that the bar is less busy. The pitches, as I mentioned earlier, are empty. I think the need for the game to be flexible and to understand that if if there's only 12 people, at least you can have a game rather than actually not doing anything is really, really important because by virtue of having replacements, if you've only got 12 or 13 players, the game will get postponed. And what we should be doing actually is saying, no, 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 the game doesn't need to be postponed. At first team level, it's a different ball game. But once you get the second, third, fourth team level, you know, so long as we've got enough players and so long as we've got a ball and we've got a referee, then we can have a game. And I think we have to be less rigid, perhaps. And I think actually what, what this will do, and I think what the sport needs to do as well, is it needs to look at participation in a slightly different way. Because if you and I met, if you and I met perhaps even now, but certainly 10 years ago, and I said, which club are you involved with? And you'd said X. My first question would have been, how many teams do you run? And you would have said the same to me. I think the first question now needs to be different. When you meet somebody from a club, wherever it might be, the first question needs to be, "How many people have you got playing at your club?" And what that can mean, it can mean people playing touch, it can mean people playing sevens, it can mean people playing, you know, some kind of recreational pitch-up and play rugby, and the teams they've got running as well. So that if you've got teams playing on a a if you've got different forms of rugby being carried out on a Tuesday evening and a Thursday evening. And a Friday evening, I'm a big advocate of Friday night rugby because it frees up the weekend. It, it takes away the, the stigma, if you like, of three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. But if you've got people playing at your club and it is vibrant and dynamic and alive four or five nights a week, it doesn't actually matter if on a Saturday you used to run four teams, but only run two now. Because if collectively you've got enough people playing the game in whatever shape or form it might be that would make up five teams in the old days, you're doing fine. So I think it's just a question now of re-quantifying what the game is and what we need to make it to shape, to conform to how people's lives are changing.
2: John, just talk us through exactly what, what the changes are. We're talking about this today because Monday afternoon the fixtures will, will be coming out. How does the structure now look?
1: It, the, 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 the phrase that is used is the pyramid has been flat. There, there are fewer levels. There are more leagues at each level. And the most, and, that, and the, that, one of the most obvious changes from level seven downwards will be there'll be lots of second teams that are suddenly finding themselves playing in the National League structure. But the reason for that is a lot of second team fixtures were being cancelled because one or other side couldn't raise a team. And what happens week in, week out, is if you suddenly find that a game's called off and you don't make yourself available the next week, and then you find something else to do, and then suddenly the week after there's a second team game, but you don't want to play, so your club cut, cr- cries off that fixture, then it's like a spiral. It's an ever-perpetuating spiral. So to try and put a lot of clubs... I mean, clubs have had the options to do this. Um, a lot of clubs have chosen... It's, it's a com- It's been a convoluted and a complicated way of getting to this point, and I won't get involved with the rugby politics of it. But uh, you know, uh, many, many clubs have put their second and lower 15s into the leagues because they feel that players will make themselves more readily available and it guarantees those players a more formatted structure to their year and they are guaranteed a certain number of fixtures, as opposed to playing in a merit table or a friendly where on a Thursday night people think, Do you know, I think I'm not available, I won't be bothered. I won't bother to play. Whereas if they know it's a league game, from the research that we've done, we think it's more likely that they will actually say, yes, I am available and I will remain available for the match on Saturday. So there's going to be lots of leagues where, there are, you know, half a dozen clubs first teams against half a dozen clubs second teams, and so I think this is the again. Just a, there's a danger here of always sounding like a record that's got but this is about trying to ensure that more people play, more fixtures are completed, and the game is more buoyant as a consequence of these changes.
2: John, thank you very much for joining us here on the Ruck. Um, we're going to let we'll let you go because we know. You're at Queen's about to broadcast to the nation from the tennis. But, Mark, you were listening with interest to to what John said there. And just to chuck in some some other details, when he talked about the flattening of the pyramid, for example, Level 4, National League 2, will now have three leagues instead of two. Level 5 will have six leagues, up from four. You're very supportive of this move, Mark.
3: I am, yes. Um, A colleague and I, we did did quite a lot of research in this area two or three years back, and a lot of the things John said really chimed in. It's social change, Mm -hmm. and uh, you've got to adapt to your marketplace, and people aren't prepared did not know how you feel is right or wrong people aren't prepared to devote that like they used to be and just turn up week in week out week in week out they don't stay as long in the clubhouse you know they don't stay on the hole till half past 10. far more children minis is much more important women's rugby is much more important i think these reforms fair play to the rfu you know less traveling more local games flattening the pyramid i know it's just the, the buzzword mm-hmm. but it it's it, it is undoubtedly the right direction of travel
2: okay gents it's god or goddess of the week time uh al you get hand up first usually this is the point where everyone does what Mark sort of looking at the scene and going right? Who? Have
3: you done your prep, Have you you know? done it?
2: <laughs> Al? Straight in.
0: Well, I I just wanted to to, to turn things a little bit Gallic and look to France because, as I mentioned, uh, it was a, it's been another really fascinating weekend of of rugby in the the top fourteen. I consider I toyed with the idea of a, a devil of the week in order of of Mark um, and because he's a devil. Not because, because he's a devil because he introduced, he introduced the the, introduced the, the idea um, and. Bordeaux have gone through in the knockouts. They beat Rassing. But interestingly, there were some fascinating moments in the game where uh, through the week, Christophe Urios, who's the boss uh, at Bordeaux, had made a point of calling out Jalibert oh, and, and yeah, and they both played absolute blinders Walkie scored a try was holding his hand to his ear as if the old classic wrestling like what you're saying now uh, and Jalibert went off the park and there's a clip doing the rounds of him well Urios tries to shake his hands and Jalibert looks right past him <laughs> as he takes it in so it's an interesting one you could imagine as a motivational tool you could suggest that it actually worked calling those players out because they played bloody well but I don't know how sustainable that is. So I toyed with the idea of Urios, despite winning, being a devil of the week. But actually, um, I wanted to give a shout out to um, Melvin Jaminé. Of, now we all know his exploits at the back for France. Is coming to an end of his time with Perpignan, where he was spotted. Yep. Um, Perpignan at the weekend became the first team ever to from the top 14 to win in the playoff with the team that hadn't been promoted yet from the Pro-D2. Normally the Pro-D2 team comes up and takes over. Perpignan managed to hold on. Jaminé hasn't played an awful lot for Perpignan last year. He's been away with France. He's had injuries. He's on his way out of the club. So as a sort of parting gift to them, he helped them keep their place in the
3: division. So Melvin Jaminey is getting my God of the Week.
0: Very good.
3: Yeah, good. Um, this is going to sound extraordinarily sycophantic, so I apologise in advance. But he's just been on. I... I, 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 I. I know it's not just him and I, he would, I'm sure, so no, 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 no. But uh, I don't think we should underestimate how hard it is to get structural change into league structures. And I think what John Inverdale and his supporters within the RFU have been able to do uh, this week is, is really excellent. It's been a long time coming. Uh, there were a lot of forces of resistance, as I understand it. And I think it will help, it's not a it's not a magic bullet, but it will help to get adult male club rugby back into the type of structure that is eminently more suitable to the modern era than one we've had, which has been creaking and straining at all kinds of levels. So you'll um, be terribly embarrassed, but joining <laughs> the is my uh, god of the week.
2: Good, good suggestion. Uh, I'll go on to the field, and there's... There's any number of, of options. Uh we've talked about Nicky Zekwi, talked about George Ford, Owen Farrell. Um I'll pick I'm gonna pick Ben Earle, not just because he scored a hat trick, but there was a his all round performance in a in a ferocious game was outstanding. At the end of a week in which I was on the panel, who uh eventually concluded that he was the Premiership Player of the Year, which I must say wasn't the result I thought we'd reach on the way in. To that conversation, um, but he delivered a performance that that added some some real justification to that award. Yeah, so. It's meant for it to be mine as well. Yeah, it was just terrific. Terrific, wasn't he? And um, there's an England squad to to tour Australia coming up, and if if the tradition of the Premiership Player of the Year he continues, won't be in he it. won't be in it. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd have to make it do with the curse, isn't it? Without is the, the Week prize instead. So he's he's my suggestion, my nomination. Uh, everyone, thank you for joining us. We will be back next Monday. We'll have the Premiership final to discuss, the URC final to discuss, uh, an England tour to look ahead to, as well as Scotland and Ireland, the French and, Final Four, and Wales, French Final Four. There's still plenty of rugby to go in this season. Uh, Mark Al, thank you very much for joining us. This episode was produced by Alfie Reynolds.